What's up, Upper Room family? This is Jehoshaphat. We love you guys. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. You'll be hearing from our pastor, Michael Miller, um, about our unique story and how we started, how this whole journey started of becoming the Upper Room that you know today, how we've seen the hand of God, his goodness, his mercy, his love, and as we've seen his presence transform people's lives. This is gearing up to our 820 advanced day just in a couple weeks where we're going to ask our local and global community to gather together to pledge and give towards what the Lord is doing, our expansion campaign and our building campaign. God is moving us into the Cedars, a south part of Dallas, where we know that lives are going to continue to be transformed. Tune in, hear what God is doing, hear the testimony of his goodness and we can't wait to see you on 820 Advanced Day. We love you guys. Be blessed. Stay tuned. <laughs> Whoa. Um, hey, I, I wrote a book. We're releasing this book tonight. It is, uh, I know. So I want to give it away. Um, this is The Upper Room Story. It's called His House, His Presence. I started writing it in 2017. And uh, um, there's a lot I could say about about this journey and writing this, but I think us releasing it in this season is really important uh, for 820 and the give day and us moving into a new building. Uh, this is the revelation that has made us us. It's called His House, His Presence. And I just wanna read the dedication because I dedicated it to you. Um, I said, this book is to dedicated to the community I lead at Uproom Dallas. There's no greater honor for a leader than to be known first for the people that follow him. I'm in awe of the thousands of volunteers that have daily prayed, sung, played instruments, and ministered to Jesus throughout the years. Your collective love for Jesus and his presence has marked the earth. Thank you for your steadfast and unrelenting yes to loving and ministering to Jesus. So this is just the story of Uproom. It's at the uh, uh, coffee shop. If you want to grab a copy, it'll be available online uh, August 20th. So is there anyone that traveled from overseas? Like you, you are from a distant country. Where are you from? You're from the Netherlands? Welcome, we're glad you're here. Um, someone else from, from overseas, where are you guys from? Brazil, are you from Brazil too? Are you from Brazil? Everyone's, it's like Texas Day Brazil right here, here you go. So, um, gosh, one time I was giving out a book at CF&I, or I was giving something away, you remember this, and I threw it and it hit someone in the head and they started bleeding. <laughs> I just said PTSD again, you caught the book, I'm so grateful. Uh, so um, I, I'm, thanks for hanging in there tonight, especially if you're in the overflow, we love you. I know people are in the overflow. Uh, thank you, this whole uh, season is unto us extending the room so we don't have to have an overflow in the name of Jesus. So um, we'll almost double our sanctuary size, which is really exciting um, as we uh, move into the Cedars. Um, so I, I wanted to do a couple of things uh, tonight. I wanna look back at where we've been. Um, we're gonna do that tonight uh, in order to look at where we're at next week and then August 20th, which is the advanced day, we're gonna look at where we're going. And uh, it's a real uh, important season for the upper room. Um, we are in a season of faith. I don't know as a leader if I've ever been um, in this place of faith for us as a community um, because of the financial need and the transition from this neighborhood to a new neighborhood. There are a lot of unknowns. Uh, but when I look back and I see the fingerprints of God, I know that I know that I know that I know that he's led us to this place. And that gives me good, great confidence 
uh, as the leader of this house, but I want to put you in the place of faith because it's going to take a collective effort. Um, we need to raise in the next probably year $21 million. It's a lot of money. Yes? Especially for this room because a lot of you are uh, young. And this is the majority of our church. Like, we have baristas and uh, college kids. And so um, I want you to get in faith with us. You know, the Lord said he's not looking for rich young rulers. He's looking for little boys with loaves and fishes. And all I'm asking you to do is, one, to pray and to pray in this season intentionally, especially if you're at the upper room. Don't just be a taker in this house. Don't just come and receive. Come and give. Serve, serve in the kids' ministry, serve on the altar team. There's tons of ways to get involved, but also pray for us and give uh, because you are a part of this journey. And when, when you give, you connect your heart uh, to the heart of this house. And I, I just, as your pastor, want to uh, exhort you um, to give and to give of yourself, to give of your heart, to care about where we're going uh, because this is a significant moment. And so um, I'm very confident uh, that God has authored and birthed uh, the upper room. Uh, it, it, the first time I ever heard uh, anything regarding the upper room was in 2007, September 12th. Uh, I was with Beth. Her name was Beth Hammond at the time. She has since married Beth Guajardo. She's on our executive team. She runs uh, Upper Room Academy and does a lot of our HR and comms. She's just one of me and Larissa's best of friends. Uh, we were having coffee um, at Starbucks, and uh, we were fasting and praying about a transition we were in then. And uh, I had led a young adult group, and we were leaving that church and thinking about planting something in downtown. And I sent this email out on September 12th of 2007. Uh, I actually have a copy of it that should show up on the screen in just a second. Um, there it is. See, it's, it's a Gmail. I'm so glad I have this, 4.04 p.m., and uh, I won't read the whole thing, but I want to highlight two things. One was Mark 14. And Mark 14 is the account where Jesus' disciples said, hey, where are we going to host the Passover? It's Passover week. What, what are we going to do? And Jesus gives them the most odd instructions. He said, go into the city. You'll find a man carrying a pitcher of water. Follow that man into the home he enters. He'll introduce you to the owner of the home. And the owner will show you a large, fully furnished upper room. Say large, fully furnished upper room. And when I was reading it on this specific day, it was like the letters just stood really tall on my Bible. And we were in the midst of fasting, and the day of, of that fasting, the theme we were fasting for was blueprints. And so I sent an email that said, uh, subject was blueprints, and, um, and a few things stuck out to me. I'll just read those points. One is that there would be a, a man carrying a jar of water. And I felt like that was a small ministry in the city of Dallas, that there was a man with a small ministry who was refreshing the inner city part of Dallas, that we would meet him. Whoa, there we go. Uh, if we follow him, he will show us a large upper room, furnished and ready, make preparations for us there. Jesus and his followers would join us there. They went in the city and found things just as Jesus told them. And later on in the email, I said, I feel like the, the owner is a business owner in this area, that there would be a ministry connected to a business owner who would have an upper room. So two weeks after I sent this email, uh, I was supposed to get married to Larissa. And um, I was redlining. I was in a really uh, dark place. Even when I sent this email, I was in the fog of war. And I hit the ripcord, not only uh, in ministry, but in my relationship with Larissa. I called off our engagement on September 27th of 2007. Uh, we went into this dark season. That's a whole other sermon, amazing testimony of what the Lord did. But he restored our relationship. We got married in 2008, took a year off of ministry, 
And in 2009, the fall, we were looking at uh, getting back into ministry. Um, I had some opportunities to work at various churches. Um, we had interviewed actually at one or two churches to just take a pastoral role, a senior leader role. And we felt like we were to say no to all of those things. And uh, we felt like the Lord was calling us to himself. And so going into 2010, uh, the earthquake in Haiti hit, which it was really bad there in Port-au-Prince. Um, like a couple hundred thousand people died. I had a friend that was a missionary there. So Larissa and I went and we uh, took some orphans back from Port-au-Prince to the States. And I was going to meet with someone about our time in Haiti. And as I was walking into his office, I met this young man who had a ministry in the city of Dallas. It was a small ministry. Uh, it was in the homosexual district. And uh, he said, hey, we, we're, we're hosting prayer and worship down in Oak Lawn. And uh, my friend said, man, Michael's really passionate about prayer and worship. You guys could connect. So later that week, he called me and he introduced me to a business owner. The business owner owned a, a veterinarian clinic in Oak Lawn. And uh, he walked me to the back portion of this property. Can you have the, vid- the, the picture of the upper room? It's just a, it's a bunch of windows. Um, and he had cleared it out. It was this room. He had cleared it out. And we walked over to the centerpiece of the room. And that picture doesn't do it justice because you can really see the skyline of Dallas from this place. And as we're sitting there, this business owner goes, we call this room the upper room. And as I was there in 2010, I had not thought about that email from 2007. It wasn't like something I was like, Lord, where's the upper room? Lord, where's the upper room? Lord, you said the upper room. I thought that was just like, uh, you know, a shelf type of word. Maybe it's God, maybe it's not. And I, all of a sudden, in this moment, as he says, upper room, a business owner, jar, pitcher of water, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is that word. I didn't even remember all of it. So I went to my Gmail history and I found this email and I said, Lord, this is happening. And I felt the Lord smile. (laughs) And I was like, well, how did you know? Like 2007, I called my wedding off. I've been out of ministry. Like what? I just saw him smile. You're not big enough to mess up my plans for you, son. And, and, and I looked at my calendar. This was February of 2010. And uh, we realized Passover was in April. And I thought, wow, that gives us about eight weeks to figure out how to do a Passover, which we would need all eight weeks because we have never done a Passover. And um, it's a long story of all the things that the Lord began to speak to us in the early days of the upper room. But we knew that he had called us specifically to this room. And so we hosted a Passover and then I sent another email. Do you have the email that, I think there's another email that has, I was, it was about the Passover, just some logistics. Um, but anyways, I just wanted to show, yeah, I want to show you this one thing because uh, this is all the logistics of 27, 27 and the Passover. But I said this, we plan on meeting each Sunday night for about seven weeks because I didn't want to put myself on the hook. I said, we'll, we'll meet on Sunday nights, we'll pray and we'll do it for seven weeks from Passover to Pentecost. And that was the plan. So we went down with this assignment, this word, and uh, Larissa and I also felt instructed by the Lord, hey, don't invite your friends. We had a, a, a number of people that would have followed us down there, but we felt like the Lord said, I'm gonna call specific people to this room. If you ask them to come, they'll be looking to you for you to lead them, but I am leading people to this place. Don't you take my place. In the early days, it was really clear. This isn't something you're gonna promote. It's not something you're gonna sell. It's something I'm gonna call people into. 
It was really, really important in that season. It made no sense because, you know, in my training and skill, it's like bigger's better. Tell a lot of people, make a splash. But that's not what God was calling us to do. And so uh, in the first seven weeks, one of the most notable things we saw um, is, is I know of at least one deaf ear, no, two, two deaf ears opened up in those seven weeks, like people that could not hear in an ear. And the Lord opened them up in that room. And it was very clear to me that God was like meeting us. It was a small remnant, messy group, but man, there were some notable things happening. So we decided we would plow through the summer and, uh, and God just started drawing people to this room. I, I don't know how they showed up. It was only through really testimonies. He told us not to get a website, not to name it, not to do anything but pray in that room. Uh, don't, don't make handouts. Don't, don't share anything but prayer hours when people come. And so uh, uh, 13 weeks in, uh, we had about 12 people there and a family showed up. Uh, the family was the Lindsay family. Terry Lindsay came 13 weeks in. Now, most of you don't know who Terry Lindsay is, but Terry, there's a picture of Terry. He's got the platinum hair. It's the old school upper room. Okay, this is my bud, Terry, but can you go to the one where he's worshiping in the upper room? So these are, this is one of the first meetings of the upper room. Like we had sea green walls and chairs. Uh, there were dogs barking below us, but Terry and his... Uh, uh, seven kids showed up and uh, he bought into what we were doing. Uh, right after Terry started coming, they were driving in 45 minutes from Terrell and Terry's important to this story. I'll, I'll tell you more about Terry here in just a second. But uh, after that summer, um, Truman Spring, who spoke in the previous two services this weekend, who's a spiritual father of mine, he came to me and he said, Michael, we love what God is doing at the upper room. Like we love this weekly prayer meeting. And I was like, that's awesome. Cause I didn't, I was like, this is cool, but send me to the burbs, God. Like, I want to be that kind of pastor, you know? Like, let me look at my jacket. This is, this is it's a burb jacket. Like, you're like, what? No, it's not. Anyways, anyways, I just had this, I had this preference and idea of where the Lord would lead me. It wasn't in the homosexual district of downtown Dallas. Um, I, I didn't want to move down there. And, uh, and Truman looks at me and he goes, hey, me and Jane, we've been living in Garland for like 30 years. We're going to sell our home. And we're gonna move as close to this room as we can because we wanna extend the prayer hours. And I was like, that's a terrible idea. Like, <laughs> no. He goes, Michael, the email. Michael, the, 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 the sovereign thing that he's doing, don't you see it? And I was like, no. I, I see the burbs. Like, no. And, uh, and Jane, I remember Jane looked at me and she said, I'll, I'll, uh, we'll move down here under one condition. And they had a prayer house in their uh, living room that no one came to actually. Uh, it was at 6 a.m., 8 a.m., 6 p.m., 8 p.m., four days a week. Jane was like always praying and Truman had to go because it was in his house, but no one else would come. And I, I went a couple of times and I was like, man, you're telling your church about it, but just not a lot of people were coming. And, uh, but Jane was just so faithful to this calling to build a house of prayer. And she looked at me and she said, if we move down here, you're gonna come to all those prayer hours. And I was like, what? what? Don't move. No, I'm not. They moved and I ended up going to all these prayer meetings. And so um, that was the fall of 2010, early 2011. Uh, the Lord took me into this, this school of prayer, learning about God's presence, learning about um, how to engage him. Uh, it, it, it just, it, we didn't have musicians at the time. Um, we had an iPod, an old school iPod and John Thurlow. God, thank you for John Thurlow. Uh, 
and, and we, would, we would listen to the same songs and Jane would pray the same prayers, babies and marriages, babies and, no, musicians, marriages and babies. That's what it was, musicians, marriages and babies. And, uh, and man, I just, I was like dying so many deaths in that season. Uh, but, you know, God supernaturally would, would, uh, would, would bring community. So that was this room. Um, gosh, little, little Samuel, Sam Parker's now in college. That's crazy. Go to the next picture. There's some pictures. This is a walk down memory lane of the early days. Oh, do you have the picture of Trace actually? Cause God sent our first musician. It was Trace Howard. Um, this is, there it is. That's one of the raw, raw pictures. Tr- Trace is translucent. So back in the day, um, he would kind of come in and out. It was weird. It was like an Enoch thing. Uh, so, but I was just so happy that someone could play the guitar and be in our midst, whether they were invisible or not. And, uh, and then I think this is Peter and Christy on the left there getting fresh. So there they are. Peter and Christy, lovebirds. But we, uh, we just had this ragtag group of maybe six to 10 of us just praying. And uh, uh, some families started buying into it. And then we redid that room and made it look a little more cheeky and cool, upper room style. So this is the 6 a.m. prayer set. This is amazing, guys. I, I just want you to see, if this is your first time or you've been coming for some time, but maybe not a long time, this group of people right here, Sarah Johnson, Jeff Hastings, Michelle and, uh, Melissa and Phil Smith, there's Truman Spring, Drew Hammer, um, oh, Javanna and Adam, that's where they started dating in the 6 a.m. prayer meeting. So that's hope for you if you go to the 6 a.m. prayer meeting. But... <laughs> I want to tell you that these guys have been praying 6 a.m. Monday mornings for 13 years. 13 years. Come on. Some of you hadn't gotten up before 6 in 13 years. You know what I'm saying? This is a massive deal that these guys bought into this and they formed community around uh, the place of prayer. And then things started getting a little wild. I think we have a video of some of our worship um, yeah. It's a little pre-YouTube flow. So ultimately the fire marshal would find out we were in that room and he would shut things down. And so we got uh, to go to next door. There was an Anglican church. And so uh, phase two, we kept a prayer room in this room, but the fire marshal, we couldn't put more than a couple hundred people in that room. And so we ended up going to an Anglican church just next door. How many of you ever went to the Anglican church? So this is the Anglican church. You guys were there. Okay, so this was phase two. And uh, it's Michael and Meredith Malden. Bob, such a cool history here. So I don't know if there's other pictures because um, anyways, that's the Anglican church. And it, it looked out on Oak Lawn uh, right there. So pretty cool, the history we have. Yes. You guys good? Come on. He loves that song. <laughs> It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. That is awesome. I thought she was uh, making fun of my preaching. She was singing to Jesus. All right. Amazing. It's the jacket. Yeah. 
Uh, do you have another? Do you have another? That's it. Okay, she's so giving me this. Um, anyway, so so moving moving from uh, that place to this one, we had to raise a million dollars, and to me that was like, oh my gosh, a million dollars. Lord, I like it where we're at. I like it where we're at. But it was so clear that God called us to this space. This actually used to be a paintball room, but they play paintball in here. I walked in and, and there were some words that led us to this place. And uh, we had an ass day similar to what we're doing. And, and we raised around $400,000, which wasn't close to a million. I was like, Lord, we, we need more money. And, uh, and, and a week before we moved in, uh, we got another 200. And then two weeks after we moved in, the debt was completely paid. And over the course of the next, yeah, over the course of the next year, uh, we went from uh, one service in the evening. We opened up Sunday mornings and uh, God has told us he'll, f- he'll fill whatever he finds, whatever we find, he'll fill it. And, um, and then, and then the, the story of kind of the, uh, the media began. So I, I just, I, I, we share our history about once a year. So if you've heard this, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm repeating myself, but I think it's really important that you know how we became uh, who we are today and where we've been. But, you know, I mentioned just the lowly beginnings uh, of the early upper room days, and it really became a sweet spot for us uh, that no one knew about us. Um, there was this really like, uh, never mind, I won't talk about that, but we would get confused by another church that was called Upper Room, but... Uh, and so I was like, Lord, we, we need to like put something out there. And he's like, no, I've, I've told you, do not mark this place. And so we ended up just putting a Google map with our prayer hours. So people would actually know where we are and when we prayed. Uh, but, but from 2016, 2017, um, the Lord started speaking to us about media and, um, and we didn't have a strategy for media. We didn't really, it was not a muscle we had flexed. And so I went to a couple of guys uh, specifically Jonathan Olson. I saw him this weekend and Johnny Jimenez and some other guys were involved. And, uh, and the word was just drip moments of our culture online. They said, let's get a YouTube channel and let's get some cameras. And we'll put the cameras up and just record whatever. And if it's saucy, we'll put it online. Like we'll find the sauce and then we'll put it online. I was like, that's a great strategy. So they put a GoPro camera up here and then someone had a camera back there. And uh, we just started recording our services on the weekends. And uh, I think our first, uh, our first or second video, uh, Abby was singing a song, and I can't remember the song. She's in here. Trimble. Trimble. And, and I, like, like, Abby's one of my, like, I love her heart. Uh, Abby was a person that was in my family. She was at my house. Like, she was Abby. She was one of the, the Simmons. We just love the Simmons family. But when I watched how God highlighted her heart and marked a generation, I realized how special people are in this house that are walking with us. What, what, a, what a holy and unique thing he's been doing. And then to see just, you know, she married Gabriel Gamboa. So the Gamboas were coming and they were our musicians. And you just see how this tapestry of relationships and families and now babies. It's just incredible. Uh, about a few weeks after that, um, I was preaching on the blood and, and, and they had turned off the main camera, but the GoPro was just always going. And uh, Elissa Smith sang Surrounded. It was a spontaneous moment. She said, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It's based on a sermon after I had preached on the blood. 
And I asked them to come up and sing kind of the sermon, similar to what we did before the sermon tonight. And she started singing that song, which was awesome. We had had a lot of moments like that. You know, it, it wasn't like, uh, I wrote this new song. It was just flowed into what we were doing. And thank God the GoPro camera was going, but we put that online. And the, the, the church at large began singing this song. It was a spontaneous offering from Upper Room. I remember in 2020, we, we finally put out a Moments album. We didn't have a publishing. We we're trying to figure out all that because we just kind of came on the scene. And I remember a guy called me and he said, you know, Kanye West, uh, Jesus is King's album has been number one on uh, Apple Music or whatever for a year. But I want you to go look at it. And I looked at it and Upper Room was number one. Little Upper Room. Not that we dethroned Kanye or anything. I think it was just number one. I think it was just number one for like, 24 hours, and then Kanye took it, but I was like, whoa, that's pretty cool. Um, but but I, I say all that because none of, none of those things, none of those things were like this five-year plan. None of those things were like, whoa, how can we get Abby out there? Whoa, how, how, do, we, how do we, it was always just about the leadership of heaven. And, 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 and you know, Psalms 127, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. And, and my confidence standing before you isn't in my ability to lead you, but my ability to follow and listen to him. And, and, and I hope that your confidence isn't in my ability to lead you, but in, in our track record with who's actually leading us. And so we're at an impasse here where, man, 21 million bucks is a lot of money. This new building and, and, and the neighborhood and some of the opportunities that we have to reach people, it's going to take everyone. It's all hands on deck. And so August 20th is important because that man that I showed you, can you put Terry up again? I just want to end with, with Terry here. Uh, Terry uh, was a spiritual father. He ended up just, he had this platinum helmet of hair. This is the helmet of salvation, like <laughs> boom, right there. Uh, that smile, those eyes. Uh, Terry always spoke a better word. He, he didn't talk a lot, but when he spoke, you knew he was speaking. Uh, August 19th of 2018, he was standing in that corner right over there. And a man was uh, moving in prophecy and he began prophesying over Terry. He prophesied all these beautiful things about him being a father in the house and the wisdom that he carries. He didn't know Terry, but we all knew him and we're like, of course, you know, like, duh, do you not know him? He's like, I have no idea who this guy is. This is a real awkward, fun moment. And um, Terry came up to me and he said, I think this word is about our future and I wanna meet with you this week. There's some things I've been pondering and praying about. I said, man, I can't wait. We put lunch on uh, the calendar that week. Next morning, I went and did opening day at CFNI. I was walking off stage. I had 20 missed calls from his son. Terry Lindsay uh, went to sleep that night, and he didn't wake up. He died in his sleep. And uh, that day was uh, one of the most challenging, hard-breaking days of my life. I have never had someone that close to me pass so suddenly. And uh, we processed it as a community. We had a night of grieving and just... Like we're walking through, like, what do we do? And in my own pain, I was really giving it to God about this father that we had lost. And um, that's another story in itself. But I had this image of Terry standing before the Lord. You know, you saw the picture of how tall he was and that hair. And the image that I had was he was before the throne of God. And he was a head taller than anyone. And he was worshiping the Lord like this. And then he turned and he saw me entering into the scene. And I kind of felt like I, I don't belong here, right? And Terry looked at me, he looked at Jesus, looked at me, looked at Jesus, and he threw his hands up in the air and he yelled this one word, advance. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Don't get stuck in this. Keep advancing. And that's been a mantra for us as a community. So August 20th, two weeks from tonight, 
uh, is our advance day. And it's the day we're asking for the upper room to respond um, by pledging to our future, pledging to this building, pledging to uh, this, the size of this room doubling and our impact and authority upon the city of Dallas and the nations. I think the Lord is just only gonna increase it. I think we're just beginning. I was just at the send yesterday with Andy Bird and um, our, our team was there and to see what God's doing with Gen Z specifically, to see this generation that's emerging, looking for a cause and to see how our journey has really grafted into his purposes for uh, Gen Z, for millennials and this room, man, you're a beacon, you're a light to your generation. There are so many people I was talking, uh, I was in Richmond on Friday night and this Egyptian millennial came up to me. He was Egyptian. I've never met, I don't know if I've met an Egyptian. I didn't know what Egyptians looked like, but he was Egyptian. He was like very Egyptian. And he said, I, Pastor Michael, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, what's going on, man? I'm from, he's from Egypt. He goes, I watch y'all every Sunday night. And the young people in there give me courage. The young people in there have put a fire in my heart. He said, you must keep the ministry times going. Tell them not to turn off YouTube. I love the ministry times. And I was like, I'm sorry. So he kind of rebuked me. But anyways, there's people online. Egyptians are watching you worship. Middle Easterns are watching you worship and they're catching hope and fire because of what's happening in here. And ultimately, guys, here's, here's what I think is the impetus to everything. And it's why I wrote this book, to put language to our story, language to our journey, and language to some of the revelations that God has given us. Uh, if you have your Bibles, Isaiah 66. I know it's 701. I, I just give me 10 minutes. Is this helpful tonight? I feel like it is. Isaiah 66, uh, the prophet asks a question from the Lord's mouth. He says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. I, I think this speaks of the omnipresence of God. Heaven, earth. Where then is a house you could build for me? He asks a question. And where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all things, thus all things come into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Now I'm not gonna preach on uh, brokenness, contrition, humility, and trembling at the word of God, but that attracts the presence of God. But I, I want to focus on this one thing, is that God is looking for resting places on the earth. That he who dwells everywhere, heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool. He who dwells everywhere has a desire to be somewhere. He who is everywhere has a desire to be and dwell somewhere. The Garden of Eden, the design of Eden, theologically, I, I could really lay out a solid case for this. So I'm gonna say this and maybe I'll do it next week. But I believe that Eden wasn't created primarily for man. I believe God built Eden for himself. I believe God was building himself a sanctuary, a city, a temple, a place where he could dwell with man, 
But man was a priest. Man was a steward of that which was his. But in Genesis 3, 8, get this. God who is everywhere. I, I think we have a, 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 a very a clear understanding of the omnipresence of God, that God is everywhere. There's nowhere you can go that he's not. But Genesis 3.8 says this. It says, in the coolness of the day, say coolness of the day. He came to Adam in the garden. Say in the garden. So there was a specific time, the coolness of day, probably in the evening or the morning. Evening or morning. God hithelix. That's what coming into the garden means in the Hebrew. He hithelix. He comes. He, he, he makes himself known in the coolness of the day, a time, and in Eden, a place to a person. This, to me, reveals a desire in the designer's heart. That the creator had an intent in creating what he created, not just so man would have a home, but that he would have a home. So when sin entered in, it, it didn't just mar Adam and creation, it, it, it marred and marked his tabernacle city. That's why the end of the story, Revelation 21, 20 and 21, it, it ends the way that it begins with the tabernacle of God being restored once again upon the earth. So the Bible is... Uh, an unfinished story. It's unconcluded. Why? Because that reality hasn't happened yet. And when Jesus walked the earth, I'll, I'll close with this. This is heavy revy. Are you ready? I feel, I feel they're more ready than you guys are. Just kidding. Oh, now I offended this side. I'm sorry. Um, Jesus said this in Luke. He said, uh, Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has what? The Son of Man has what? Nowhere to rest his head. Foxes have holes. What are holes? Homes. What are nests? Homes. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, you know, I've, I've heard this talked about. Well, Jesus was nomadic. Jesus didn't have a home. His home was in heaven. Like he was a man of chastity, a man of you know, just lesser means. He had no material things. And, and while I, 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 can, I can applaud that, I, I believe that there's something deeper here. I, I believe that, that this resting place idea, God establishing a home for himself, is central to the gospel and central to the redemptive narrative. So when I hear that, I start to think, well, why didn't he have a place to lay his head? And so I started looking at that phrase. The phrase in the Greek is klino, say klino. The son of man had no place to klino his head. And as I looked at it, I found klino again. And interestingly enough, it is again associated with the head of Christ. So he had no place to lay his head. But in John chapter 19, verse 30, this word klino is used again in relation to Jesus' head. Look at this, John 19, verse 30. Gosh, this is amazing. Wait for it. There it is. Therefore, this is on the cross. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said his final words. What are his final words? It is finished. What was finished? The work of salvation was finished. The work of salvation. 
was finished. The blood had been shed. His body had been offered. It was accepted before the eyes of a father, a perfect offering for mankind. He says, it is finished. It's the finished work of the cross. But look, after he declares, it is finished, he cleanoed his head. He who had no place to clean his head, cleanos his head. Where does he clean his head? On the finished work. Why was there a day seven? Because the work had been completed. What did God do on day seven? He didn't have to do this, but he rested. What did he rest in? His finished work. Jesus is clean owing his head because the work had been finished. But not only had the work had been finished, but a bride had been birthed. Blood and water came out of his side. Now we are the body of Christ. You're not the head of Christ. You're not the head of the body. <laughs> he is. So here, here's my point. And the point of that book that I wrote about his house, his presence, is he who is everywhere desires to rest somewhere. And I think he visits many places. I think there's places with his name on it. There's places that talk about him. There's places that set chairs for him to come and to receive. But I think Jesus is looking for houses that he can rest in. And I think he's found one and he's finding many that are paying attention to him when he shows up, that are establishing resting places, not just one day a week, but seven days a week. 6 a.m. prayer sets that have been going for 13 years. Why? Because we're establishing a resting place for the Lord. Why instruments and songs? Well, guess what? That's what he's attracted to. That's what he's chosen to surround himself with. As you become a student of him manifesting, you start to realize, wow, there's, there's prescriptive measures that, that actually draw him to us, like thanksgiving and praise, worship. Like we've dissected these words why? Because we're students of his coming, of his remaining, of his staying. This has been the great pursuit of this house. Oh, I wouldn't have chosen it, but God, I'm so grateful for his sovereign choices. And now the story that we have. Who will build a house for the Lord? Where is my resting place? My desire is that there's a people in Dallas, Texas called the Upper Room that have made a resting place for the presence of God, morning, noon, and night. And I think we've been doing it for 14 plus years and we're about to do it till he returns. I think this next transition is unto the generations behind us. And I know some of you are like, dude, I'm like 20. I know, but you need a vision for when you're 80. You need a vision for when you're old and gray. It's crying over scriptures, praying prayers, singing songs in rooms like this with other people and testifying to the works of the Lord to the generation that's behind us. I think this is going to be nuclear for the church in the days ahead. The presence of Jesus. So let's do more of the same upper room. Is that good? August 20th. I'm going to ask our ministry team to come up and I want to pray specifically for uh, one demographic of people. Um, 
I, I think there's people in this room, you have a relationship with Jesus and, and not that you can't have a relationship with Jesus and not the Holy Spirit, but if you're desiring a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit, maybe you've never been touched by the Holy Spirit, maybe this type of language is, is a little out there for you, I want you to come and receive prayer tonight and we wanna pray that Jesus would baptize you in the Holy Spirit, that he would release just a fresh awareness, nearness, and deposit of the Holy Spirit into your heart. It's not that you don't have the Holy Spirit, but I believe there's more. And so you can come up and receive from these guys. And uh, maybe you need healing, direction, whatever it is. You can come forward. Would you stand with me? And uh, these guys are dangerous. They're trained spiritual ninjas. Black belts. So... Uh, would you just offer your, 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 your uh, hands to the Lord and let's just say, Lord, we give you the future of Upper Room. Lord, we give you the future of this house. We thank you for the past, but Lord, thank you for what you're going to do in the future. We honor you. We love you. We bless you. You who began a work will complete it, Lord. You're going to perfect it. And for the souls that don't know you, Lord, for a generation that has not yet called upon you, Lord, we give you thanks in advance that these acts of faith are unto those fruits in the name of Jesus. I remember when we prayed this prayer in our last building, and now people are filling this building. And so we get to pay it forward, Lord. May you touch souls. May you touch South Dallas. May you touch the African-American community, Lord, in South Dallas, the Latino community, God, the homeless community. I'm believing for restoration of minds that we're going to see supernaturally, Lord, the demonized set free, God, that you would release an anointing and authority upon us to be ambassadors of your kingdom and see people reconciled to you in the name of Jesus. We love you. We honor you. Amen. Amen. Hey, some of you, please come down, grab a friend and say, I want to go forward and get prayer from those guys. Come on down. We love you. Go by the connect table. Thanks for coming to Upper Room.